Hello, this is Justin Coleman, Senior Pastor at University UMC, and this is our podcast. I hope these messages engage your mind, touch your heart, and inspire you to serve God and your neighbor. Check us out online at universityumc.church. Thanks for tuning in. What I want to suggest to you today is that in order to understand the story of Jesus and Thomas, you need to understand the story of Bible and the glowworm. Or more accurately, the story of six Bibles and one glowworm. It was the summer, or sorry, it was rather Christmas of either 1986 or 1987, and my grandmother gave all of the cousins life-size Bible stuffed animals. They were literally larger than the size of a small child, and they were a Bible, the star character in the recent animated uh, movie, An American Tale, that was wildly popular. Bible was the main character. It was the story of the, the Russian family of mice, the Mouskowitz, who were immigrating to the U.S. after experiencing persecution. And I never asked Grandma why she gave out the stuffed Bibles to all the grandchildren, but it's probably because their story was much like our family's story. Grandma had been born in the United States, but all of her older siblings were born in what they called the old country, somewhere around the border of Poland and Austria-Hungary. They immigrated in the early 20th century, and whenever Grandma would ask her older siblings about life in the old country, all they would say was, why bring up bad memories? In some ways, Bible was the family story that Grandma never knew, and in some way, giving us, or giving the grandchildren the stuffed animals was passing down a birthright of sorts. But I didn't get a Bible. I got a glow. Grandma thought that as a baby I would enjoy the the smaller stuffed animal that doubled as a nightlight and that sang soothing music better. And and I'm sure that when I was little and I didn't know any better, I liked the glowworm. But when I got big enough to know that my sister got a Bible that was literally bigger than she was, and then when I learned that all of my cousins got Bibles that were literally bigger than they were, and all I got was this dinky glowworm, oh, I was mad. I was mad for about 13 years. Switching back to scripture, Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, is not there when Jesus shows up the first time. He's not there when Jesus shows shows the disciples his wounded hands and his side. Thomas misses out. All of his brothers got to see the resurrected Jesus, but he doesn't. He doesn't know if he'll have another chance doesn't know if he ever will. And his response sounds as much like an outburst of sibling rivalry and one-upsmanship as it sounds like a statement of faith or a statement of doubt. You got to see the marks in his hands and now you believe? Well, guess what? I'm not going to believe until I get to see them too. And wait, 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 that's not even up. I'm not going to believe until I get to put my fingers in him. I'm not going to believe until I get to put my hand in his side. Maybe I hear it that way because I live with a a three-year-old and an 11-month-old, and I'm in a constant cycle of two brothers who don't care which toys are technically age-appropriate for them. The younger doesn't care if he's too young. You better believe he wants to do anything his older brother is doing, even if it's terribly unsafe. And my older boy, it doesn't matter. He He may not have played with the toy in two years, but you better believe if baby brother starts playing with it, he's going to steal it back. Neither wants to be left out, ever. 
And oh, they will lie, they will lie, they will lie to try to get their way. My need it, my need it, my need it. <laughs> That's what the one who, who knows words is able to say. The other one just shrieks and shrieks and shrieks. Both of them will lie out their teeth, trying to about what they think they need or what they think they want. It's really just calling out not to be left You know, friends, even if we learn to hide it better as we get older, it never starts to feel good to be left out. I believe that what we often call Thomas's lack of faith is every bit as much his pain over just that. It's his pain over being left out. Why do I say that? Because he doesn't actually have to touch Jesus' hands and sides. That was just him blowing smoke and blowing off steam. You know, when Jesus shows up a week later and he he offers Thomas to see his hands and his side, just like he'd let the disciples see them a week before. I mean, he even offers to touch him, but, but Thomas doesn't have to touch him. When he sees him, just like all of his brothers had a week before, well, that's enough. He's back even with his brothers. He's, he hasn't been left out anymore. His, his birthright of sorts, his, his birthright of being a disciple has been restored. He's part of the group that's going to go on to found the church. It's interestingly enough that the scripture that the church invites us to pair with the story of Jesus and Thomas is the story of the early church. We call these pairings the lectionary. You know, it's a system that suggests four scriptures for each Sunday that, that particularly in these holiday seasons like Easter, or Christmas, Lent, Advent, they're paired together much like the way that you would pair uh, courses at a fine dinner. What scriptures are going to bring out the flavors of other scriptures in new and surprising ways, maybe in ways you haven't noticed before. That's what happened when I read the story of Thomas and the story of the early church together this week. Let me read a couple of verses for you about the early church from Acts, chapter 4. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, with the implication being the proceeds were to make sure everyone in the community had enough. Do you see the flavors of these two scriptures mixing together? Thomas refuses to believe until he was included and equal. And then the disciples who do believe start giving their lives. They start living their lives in ways that everyone equally has what they need to flourish. Faith for Thomas is not an intellectual agreement, but it's an embodied response to being fully welcomed. For the early church, their belief is embodied in the way they live out their life in relationship with one another. In fact, the way the early church uh, thought about belief as an embodied experience, an embodied practice, is enshrined in our Apostles' Creed. The Creed was originally written in Latin, and in Latin there were three ways to say that you believe. The first meant to say that you believed that God existed. The second pushed it a step further, that you believed what God said. But the version that the church fathers and mothers enshrined in the creed pushed it even a little bit further to say that you believe in God, meaning that you believe in God enough to let your faith shape every part of your life. To let the story of Jesus and who Jesus was and who Jesus is shape every part of your life, how you do everything in your life. 
the Jesus who didn't just agree with caring for the poor or including the outcast on an intellectual level, but who made doing these things a very central part of his time on earth. Determined who he ate dinner with. Determined who he spent his time with. It determined who he listened to. The early church took that pattern to heart. It's what it meant to believe. How do you use your whole self to be about the work of God? How do you use your money? How do you use your time? How do you use your vote? Who do you spend time with? Who do you listen to? This is the birthright of the church. Using all that we have at our disposal so that everyone may feel included, so that nobody has a need. This calling to be the church is one that we're, we're sitting with here at UNC Wesley. As we moved into the 1853 Methodist Church building at the intersection of Rosemary and Henderson Streets, the first building built for a Methodist congregation in Chapel Hill, uh, that congregation that lives on today is your church, University Church. You know, I'm recording this sermon here in that sanctuary, presumably the first sermon preached here since 1900, the first Methodist sermon since 1889. We know from church records that from when the church was opened as a Methodist church in 1853 through the end of the Civil War, the membership of that church was approximately eight, uh, 20% African American. And although the, the church role seemed to have been lost, so we can't check by name, it's almost certain that the vast majority not all of the African-American members of that church were enslaved, likely by white members of the congregation. That's part of the history of Methodism throughout the South and, and here in Chapel Hill. As we at UNC Wesley celebrate 75 years as first the Wesley Foundation, now we use the phrase Wesley Campus Ministry, but we're reflecting as we have in the, in the ministry moments and in the services here about our founding story our birthright story, if you will, is the belief that the gospel compels us to act for justice in every form and every shape. And still we got to sit with the fact that although we're not an exclusively white campus ministry, we don't reflect the demographics of our campus as a whole. And our worship and our liturgy are even more white than our students. So being who we are, and also being in this space, we're asked those questions by Jesus. What does it mean to truly believe? What does it mean to truly welcome everyone as equal? What does it mean to truly be a church where everyone's needs are met? We don't have it figured out yet, but we're holding up that example of Jesus to ask ourselves, who are we spending our time with? Who are we having dinner with? Who are we listening to? Because to truly believe those, those circles have to be getting wider and wider and wider until they reflect and until they include all God's children in town. we got a lot of work to do. And it's not going to be easy. But that's why the good news of the story of Thomas is that it's not about Thomas at all. No, it's a story about Jesus. It's a story about the Jesus who shows up holding his hands up, offering Thomas what Thomas has said he needs to believe. The good news is that Jesus still does that. Still offers you, 
and still offers me what we need to believe. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can visit us at universityumc.church where you can find services, events, and other ways you can get involved. Remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week. We hope the peace of Christ is with you, and we hope to see you soon.